Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit their website, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And for now, for more than a decade, each Monday morning, we talk about current global events. Of course, coronavirus is sweeping all the news headlines. And uh, I'm sure we'll be bringing that up as well as uh, uh, what's happening in India. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry and I will discuss his latest column, which is a nation's, a nation's True Test Comes After a Crisis. Interesting point of view. And then Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books, his latest is Shake the Money Tree. It is August the 6th, and on this day in 1917, two days after the U.S. Senate voted 82 to 6 to declare war against Germany, the House of Representatives endorsed the declaration by a vote of 373 to 50, and America had formally entered World War I, the world to end the war to end all wars. When World War I erupted in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson pledged neutrality for the United States, a position that the vast majority of Americans favored. Britain, however, was one of America's closest trading partners, and tensions soon arose between the United States and Germany over the latter's attempt to quarantine British Isles. Several U.S. ships traveling to Britain were damaged or sunk by German mines. In February 1915, Germany announced unrestricted warfare against all ships, neutral or otherwise, that entered the war zone around Britain. One month later, Germany announced that a German cruiser had sunk the William P. Fry, a private American vessel. President Wilson was outraged, but the German government apologized and called the attack an unfortunate mistake. On May the 7th, the British-owned Lusitania ocean liner was torpedoed without warning just off the coast of Ireland. Of the 1,959 passengers, 1,198 were killed, including 128 Americans. The German government maintained that the Lusitania was carrying munitions, but the U.S. demanded reparations and an end to German attacks on unarmed passenger merchant ships. In August, Germany pledged to see the safety of passengers before sinking unarmed vessels, but in November sunk an Italian liner without warning, killing 272 folks, including 27 Americans. With these attacks, <clears throat> public opinion in the United States began to turn irrevocably against Germany, and in 1917, Germany determined uh, to win its war of attrition against the Allies, announced the resumption of unrestricted warfare in war zone waters. Three days later, the United States broke diplomatic relations with Germany, and just hours after the American liner Housatonic was sunk by a <clears throat> uh, German U-boat, on February the 22nd, Congress passed the $250 million arms appropriations bill intended to make the United States ready for war. And, of course, it all resulted in going to war uh, the story of getting into World War One, an awful, that there's uh, apparently a film out, I haven't seen it, but showing uh, the other destruction, human, uh, the malaise of this terrible war that occurred, uh, World War One. <clears throat> Locally, a fire that burned for hours in a grassy area next to Southwest Florida International Airport Friday has been contained. The airport is fully functional, and the inbound lanes of the Terminal Access Road reopened at 11 p.m. Friday, according to Vicki Moreland. She's the communications director for the airport. The fire was in an area where extra rental cars were parked and not occupied. Witnesses saw and heard multiple small explosions, flames jumping high in the air, and showers of sparks. There were 3,516 cars destroyed or damaged by the fire. Another 3,850 remained undamaged. The cause of the fire is being investigated by the state fire marshal. She said, I'll bet. Boy, it just sounds like arson, doesn't it? I just wonder what happened there. We'll find out, I'm sure. Well, U.S. stock futures are posting gains. The futures right now are Dow Jones Industrial Futures up about 800. Recovering from last week's losses and brushing off a drop in oil prices. Now, the president had uh, oil leaders in from around the United States and talking with them about what to do about this. He's even talked about embargoes, or I should say uh, 
uh, tariffs on oil. Anyhow, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was rising by over 800 points to 3.8% at 5 a.m. and still are there right now. So this is quite stunning. The government models used to predict the extent of the coronavirus pandemic are off by huge margins in the latest coronavirus tracking numbers. The current government predictions reported by COVID Tracking, that's covidtracking.com, for April the 5th show all beds needed 179,000, ICU beds needed 33,000, invasive ventilators 26,544. The actual numbers, as recorded by the COVID Tracking Project, uh, 22,000 uh, hospitalizations, 5,000 ICUs, and uh, 656 on ventilators. An overestimation of hospitalizations by eight times, overestimation of ICU beds needed 6.4 times, and overestimation of ventilators needed 40.5 times. Uh, to me, this just seems unacceptable at a time when we've got great technology and opportunity. Of course, this, is, this comes from the model, models that they initially used. <clears throat> it's shocking this could happen. I think the result of this is going to be, my hope is, and I know your hope is too, that we're going to see a lot of empty beds, maybe wasted money in preparation for all this, better safe than sorry. But in my p prediction is uh, that we're going to find out, especially with uh, maybe some of the drugs that are being developed or preventive device uh, uh, pharmaceuticals that are going to help people get well soon, uh, this will all blow over, I hope, pretty quickly. Well, Sunday on New York AM 970 Radio's The Cats Roundtable, economist Stephen Moore weighed in on the potential impact of the coronavirus to the United States economy. He warned the nation could be facing a potential Great Depression scenario if the United States stays on lockdown much past the beginning of May, as well as an additional amount of deaths caused by the raised unemployment rate. At some point soon, we're going to have to make real decisions about what kind of calamity we are going to uh, causing through the lockdown of the economy, he said. I'm not saying we shouldn't be inattentive or we should be inattentive to a public health concern. We should, but at some point we have to worry about what we're doing to our society and what kind of economy we're going to have after this is all over, he said. He went on to suggest President Donald Trump and governors across the country should get the economy up and running for the good of the country by coming up with smart policies. If we go much past May the 1st, we're facing a potential Great Depression scenario, he added, after agreeing that the economy needs to be started back in the next 30 days. I couldn't agree more. There are risks in life. We need to start considering some of those risks. My belief is, a smart roll on, out on this is, let's get people who are uh, 30 and under back to work. Uh, let's uh, quarantine or let's keep in, uh, housebound those people that uh, perhaps are what, what the statistics are showing in the deaths is it's the people who have pre-existing conditions that, for the most part, that are dying. So people with pre-existing conditions should quarantine themselves, stay in. Uh, young people that seem to be able to weather the storm could go back to work. And then after that, we'll have a rollout of people, so let's say, 30 to 50. And finally, in the last phase, let's say in, the, in three or four weeks, get everybody back to work. But let's get it going as soon as possible. Saying we are seeing a leveling off in the hottest spots of all, President Trump revealed Sunday evening, I don't know if you watched the press conference, we certainly did, that 1.67 million people have now been tested for coronavirus in the United States as the light at the end of the tunnel emerges, although he made clear that he felt some politicians have let their constituents down across the, uh, during the crisis. He referred specifically to Illinois Governor Pritzker, in particular, was complaining all the time despite underperforming Trump charged in a brief with, briefing with the President's Coronavirus Task Force that two officials had sparred in recent days with the Democrat accusing the White House of failing to provide all the ventilators he wanted. He's not able to do what he's supposed to do. Uh, uh, as a governor, Trump said, he's not performed well. <laughs> it's great. President Trump uh, just doesn't pull any punches. Later during the briefing, Vice President Mike Pence said he'd spoken to Pritzker and the governor did express a great appreciation for the fact that our Army Corps of Engineers has constructed 500 beds in McCormick Place, which is a convention center, and before the end of the week would construct another 2,500 beds. An overflow health facility in Chicago. Uh, unbelievable. So much is being done, and the president is responding. If you take a look at the experts on the stage, they're just doing so much to prevent 
deaths and to keep people healthy, provide uh, health care and health care outlets for people across the country. But uh, in my mind, I, I suspect after this is all over, if I were a betting man, we're going to see about 50% of the stuff that's been created was never is never going to be used. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, uh, of course, the season now is canceled for the for the final two shows, but the next season is coming up. New Works Festival coming up and lots of good education for kids during the summer. You can check it all out by going to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly about past presidents. He's also the founder and president of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with HistoryCentral.com, maybe you could tell us about it. Sure. HistoryCentral.com includes... Uh, all parts of American history, we start before the first explorers arrive, we go through the explorers, the colonies, Revolutionary War, all the way to today. The last entry is on the COVID-19 virus and what's happening, so we try to keep it up to date as best as we can. Um, it includes special sections on elections, on aviation, history of ships and navy, railroads even, and it also includes world history as well. And we've just added, just as of yesterday, we just opened up a new little section where you can do um, puzzles. 
using historic pictures. I think we have 35 puzzles you can do online. Mm. So if you're bored and looking to do a puzzle, <laughs> we can do up to 35 different puzzles online right now. So I have to give it a check. Uh, historic so pictures, Civil War pictures, Revolutionary War pictures, etc. Yeah, a very uh, just an abundant amount of very robust websites. So, uh, you know, it's just critical that people understand history, in my view, and uh, what a great tool for young people of all ages, including you and I. We can check out HistoryCentral.com. So, Mark, the, the news of the day, of course, everything, the air is sucked out of the room by everything but uh, by uh, coronavirus. What are your thoughts? No, absolutely, Bob. I mean, look, it's... Um it was coming, you know, we've, I've been discussing it now for six or eight weeks, so mm-hmm. it was coming and it took a while for people to take this with the seriousness it deserves. New York right now looks like it's close to the apex. It's not quite sure, it's quite, it's not quite clear. The death start, dropped a little bit yesterday, but on the other hand, um, what wasn't reported is on the average day, 25 people die in their homes in New York, and yesterday, 150 died in their homes, so then those weren't calculated in this, so... We don't know exactly what the, you know how many of those people have had the virus as well. Um, we've seen now Italy and Spain are beginning to be on the other side of the curve. Mm-hmm. Their number of their deaths are dropping, and the number of daily um, people who are being infected seems to be dropping as well. We need to keep in mind the fact that it's almost been three weeks since they went into a complete and total lockdown, something that the United States still hasn't done. Um, so, you know, all interior transportation, everything all stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, China is out of it at the moment, it looks like, to a very large extent, but we have to understand that they succeeded in doing that by testing everybody. They, they, they turned off all domestic transportation completely. There were no trains, there were no planes, there was nothing at all. And the people who they've tested, almost everybody in the city of Wuhan and everywhere around, and the only people who are allowed to go out to work are people who have tested negatively. Yeah. Um, and they've isolated their, they've isolated anyone who has the virus, um, and they've done an overwhelming job. Now, you know, again, one of the big questions is, could the United States ever do that? It's, it's a real question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, um, it's not easy, and America's view of civil liberties and individualism makes it very difficult impose these kind of restrictions on Americans. Right. On the other hand, you're in a pandemic, and there are certain trade-offs that I think you have to you have to consider. And yeah. So, you know, I'm here in for the last, I guess, I mean, restaurants and everything like that have now been closed for two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And except in the ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods, which is a whole story in of itself, the rates have gone down considerably in terms of the number of the people who are being um, getting it every day. The infectious rates are way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the last 10 days, you've been not allowed theoretically to go more than 100 meters, which is 300 something feet from your home. Yeah. That's just, well, the thing is that uh, the reports, the actual reports are showing that the actual hospitalizations, the ventilators needed and so forth are way below the uh, the anticipation or the, the projected numbers based on the model. So that's good news. The, no, that's definitely good news. Ventilators are definitely <clears throat> less of being needed. Just keep in mind the fact that one of the sad parts about ventilators, what I understand it, 75% of the people who get on ventilators never come off. Mm-hmm. So the young come off often, and so they're the ones who can, that's why, by and large, younger people manage to survive this, is not because they get it any less, and not even because they, get, they don't get sick. It's because the young body is able to take being on the ventilator and, and get themselves off of it. Hospitalization rates we have to be a little bit careful about, because we don't really know whether that's a factor of the fact that they're hospitalizing only more critical people at this point, mm-hmm. and people are not going to the hospitals because they fear of what the hospitals are like. So, so that number we have to sort of take with a grain of salt at the moment. And, of course, the problem is that beyond New York, it's growing, you know, both straight out of New York, the areas like Long Island, New Jersey, and those places are now starting to be hit very hard. And, of course, in other cities all over the United States, and there's no reason not to expect that to happen. And, of course, we have a couple of states that still haven't gone on lockdown, and your state waited a long, long time to do it. 
Yeah, and um, if you read our, if you read the lockdown, it's the uh, stay-at-home order from the governor. It's very, very lenient in terms of no, gathering no more than ten people. You go outside, you can exercise. So it's it's nothing like what you described in Israel right now. So no, we can, you're not allowed to be more than two people. You can only be out with one other person who's not from from your your who's living with you mm -hmm. at the moment. So it's uh, worked. So you know, again, uh, this leniency is, is it just doesn't make any sense because. Yeah, look, economically, this is a complete and total disaster for the whole world. Right. China is coming out of it first, we think. Again, we, it's, it's, we think because we don't always know what we trust in China, but they're certainly coming out of it in terms of manufacturing, etc. And they did it by doing extremely, extremely harsh measures. I mean, harsh in the sense of very, very restrictive. And the very, very restrictive measures worked. You know, if you can get together with 10 other people, that's 10 people who can get the virus. That's true. So, and, um, you, you know, know if if there's an exemption, I think, in your state for church services. I mean, that was a mistake in Israel. They gave an exemption for a while. The Minister of Health is a, an ultra-Orthodox person, and he pushed very hard for an exemption for synagogue services. And the result being that the ultra-Orthodox community in here has by far the highest rate of infection. Hmm. So, so, again, it's a tremendous mistake. You know, again, Americans have the right to pray, it's part of the Constitution. On the other hand, they have the right to live also. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. Uh, th this column by Julie Kelly, she lives in New York. Why is Queens the hot spot of hot spots in the in nation's coronavirus crisis? And she she goes on to say, you know, with, with Chinatown there, with the travel back and forth to China, the lax uh, messaging from the governor as well as the mayor of New York during the first few weeks of this thing, I think all led to, I think 50%, of, if not mistaken, 50% of all deaths right now are occurring in New York City, and especially around this area. Right. Well, 50% of the deaths are taking place in New York City. I mean, keep in mind that just because it started much earlier in New York, mm -hmm. um, except for the outbreak in Washington State, New York had the first major occurrences. Um, it's not just Chinatown. Look, if you look at the numbers, you're seeing a clear divergence. Poor people are getting it, you know, dying in greater numbers than mm -hmm. people who are wealthy. And, you know, some people think it's racism, but it's not really racism. It's the fact that poor people have to keep on working. Yeah. You and I have the privilege of working from our homes. I work wherever I am, and I don't have to go out and work. But if you're working for the sanitation department of New York City or wherever it might be, mm -hmm. you have to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why it's hitting the, you know, lower economic people in a greater percentage uh, then it helps, then it hurts, it helps, and then on the other hand, they're dying in a greater number, and again, that has to do with health care. Yeah, so my... my uh, are healthier when they get this virus tend to live through it. People right. who are not as healthy don't. Yeah, so it doesn't make sense, Mark, therefore, then uh, that before a national rollout would work with something like this, why don't we have young people who are healthy go back to work first, say 30 and under? Because they can, because, okay... Because remember something, the young people can still get it and still need the ventilators. They'll just survive the ventilators. Yeah, right. I agree with so that. But I'm suggesting when the when we get through uh, the curve here, in other words, where the curve flattens, we have to get so this. The only way to go back to work is to test everybody. Hmm. That's really the only way of, of doing it the Chinese way, where you test everybody. <clears throat> and only the people who test positive or negative, I should say, mm -hmm. who don't have it can go back to work. Well, that would be another... You test and you test and you test. That would be a great precaution. I wonder if we do... What is the story? Do we have the tests necessary to do that? We don't have enough at the moment, but they're being developed. You have... Lily has a new um, instant test that takes 15 minutes, but you have to produce enough to do it. You have to have a system in place to do the testing, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to create all those things. I mean, you know... We, China has had it in place. It has, you know, it's a, to some extent the police state, and, which is really negative in most ways, but it's pretty good when you want to control your population. Right. And we need to find ways of doing that in the, in the, in the West because think about it. It's really the only way to, to, to go back. And the only way, look, is anyone going to willing to go into a restaurant when they're going to think if, you know, someone in here could have it? Right. So this is the only way. The only way is to test, 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 and test. And if you do enough testing, then you can start going back to work. Yeah. Um, you also have to look. We're doing in the United States. It's really 
excuse the expression, half-assed, where you have some states doing some things, other states doing other things. You have national transportation networks still fully working, even though less and less people are flying. Every time someone gets on a plane from one place to another, he has the ability of bringing bringing the disease from an area that may be controlled into a new new area. Right. So, so I mean, it, it's very difficult. And listen, it, it, it's very antithetical to the whole American ethos of personal freedoms and lack of government and everything like that. But pandemics, you know, don't necessarily go together with some of the things that we think about. Uh, it's true. Uh, some people are more careful than others. So, Mark, we need to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I proudly serve on the board, and of course, that's in suspense right now, but you can find out more about the overall programs at thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's the author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we have continued the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of History Center. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, right now, this discussion right now about getting people back to work, testing, everything like that, is all about the tension between uh, making sure that we're taking care of people's uh, health during this national crisis, international crisis, and uh, keeping our economy going, getting our economy back to work before we go into a complete depression. So what are your thoughts? Well, my thought is, look, we need to get the economy going, but we need a strategy how to do it. You can't sort of, you can't, can't sort of go back in, in little pieces and expect it to work. The mm-hmm. American economy, as well as the international economy, is a whole group of, of parts that are inter, interacted. So, I mean, you can't, uh, if you don't test and test widely, what are you going to have? You're going to let restaurants open up, but who's going to want to go to a restaurant if there's a chance that the other patron who's going to be there is carrying the disease? or that the waiter is carrying the disease, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And so you need to find a method where you can say all clear. What the Chinese did, basically, was saying, okay, the people who can go back to work have on their phones a green, a green patch or whatever it is that says they are clear they do not have the disease. 
and we need a system that, that's similar to that because it's not a question of age. Because, again, young people can get the disease, they uh-huh. can carry the disease, and they can get very sick with the disease. They're just less likely to die from the disease. But right. that's not the, um, So the reality is we need to find a way to, to, to test, test, test. We need a way to narrow it, and we also need a way to have a national policy because America is one nation in transportation, in terms of food, in terms of everything. It's an integrated system. I mean, the world is also an integrated system, so we need to talk about that at some point, of yeah. working together with other countries. But let's just stay in the United States for the moment. You need a national policy that, that deals with every state, that has the same rules for every state, that has a way of testing everybody in every state um, and saying, okay, this is how we're going to go back to work. This is our plan. We're going to somehow manage to get a billion test kits, and we're going to test everybody at least once, and then everyone goes back to work is going to be tested once every two weeks for the first until we know this, that we've conquered this disease, yeah. at least for the moment. Yeah, so, so my, my reaction is that all sounds very centralized planning. <laughs> and when, when yes, but sometimes there's, there's no choice sometimes because you're dealing with a pandemic. Yes, I understand and that, but the, the, having, having politicians make these types of decisions to me is very scary. It seems to me the president has recommended a, na- a task force to get us back to work. And the, it, you know, as I watch these professionals and during his briefings and what there's what they're doing, it just makes a lot of sense to me that we have specialists in a number of areas come together and provide resources, provide uh, input on, on this entire process. You- That's fine, but they need to then come up with a policy that's then implemented in all 50 states. That's what I'm saying. In other words, I, again, I, my, my view is you need to do massive testing. If someone has a better plan, fine. Yeah. But so, it can't be a plan that one plan is done in Kentucky and another plan is done in Florida and another plan is done in New York. Because no one from New York is going to come visit Disney Disney World if the Florida plan isn't very good for the sake of argument. Well, for the sake of argument, let's suppose the Florida plan really works great. The point being, if states are these petri dishes of uh, democracy, why, why not let states... We don't have time for that. We don't have time for petri dishes because we won't... Remember something, you only know the effect of these things weeks and weeks later. And so we don't have time for 50 different policies in 50 different states to figure this out. I mean, we need, yes, we should, there should be variables in different states, and every state doesn't have to do exactly the same thing, and what's exactly right for New York may not be exactly right for Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera. All right. But an overall policy has to be a national policy because we have a national economy. All right, so right you know, now we, we're watching... We fly planes between cities, you know, thousands and thousands, well, not now, but generally speaking, thousands and thousands of times a day. Yeah, so what we're watching right now is, uh, f- some are saying that the because of the rise of nationalism and the importance of borders right now, the United States is having no illegal aliens right now crossing the borders, which is a great thing. But the European Union has experienced the same thing. Some are saying that it could lead to the breakup of the European Union. It could indeed. We don't know where this is going to go, but remember something else. The economies of all of us are going to be poorer if international trade dissipates. Right. I agree. And we, you know, anyone, you know, we all, we all read the basic economics that say that each country should specialize in what it does best, and as a result, we're all richer for it. Yes, there should be national things that we all decide that, you know, every country should produce its own X, Y, and Z, because that's, you know, for the national defense, so to speak, and when I'm saying defense, I'm not thinking purely physical defense, but, you know, pandemic response for the, for the sake of argument. Right. But beyond those things that are decided that are critical for the country, the market forces of the world are what made this, made the world so rich in the last 40 years. I agree. It, to me, it seems to me that uh, solving the problem of trade, and of course the trade was very limited, crossing borders was very difficult uh, it, before the European Union. The o- European Union, in my in my uh, view, it was an overreach in terms of solving the problem of getting trade going it, you, during with these European countries. Also, right. with I mean, so you could say that maybe the common market was correct and the European Union was unnecessary for the sake of argument. Right. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, this is something for the Europeans to decide, frankly. There's something to be said for that. There's clearly, clearly was a need for the common market. Right. I agree with that. But, and of course, we have that in the United States. So the, the analogy that I'm drawing here is the European Union is pretty much acting like the states at this point. Uh, right. So that, that, that's a big question. And again, I'll leave that for the Europeans to figure out their future in terms of, of those matters. But when it comes to overall, we have to learn to work, you know, work in the world, too. The United States is certainly not leading the world now when it comes to this issue. 
China is clearly starting to be the country that's leading by coming out of this first, sending aid to different countries. Uh, like like you know, 80% of the mass that they're sending into <laughs> airlift of 11 planes to China to get vital support, vital testing supplies and other things. Yeah. Because China's the one place that's making it. And they've also distributed, as I understand it, to, to some country, about 80% of the mass that they sent were defective. <laughs> yeah, in some countries it was. But they've, you know, Israel, well, I'm not sure what, what they're getting now, but it seems to be it's okay. But again, that's not my point. My point being... The fact that China has become, you know, the source of the world, and they managed to come out of this first. They may have been responsible for it also. Right. I mean, they were responsible, but, you know, whether it was by malice or not, that's something that history will have to determine. Right. But, um, look, the um, United States hopefully will lead again someday, but more importantly, it needs to decide itself. How are we going to get out of this as a country? Yeah. And also, let's keep in mind the fact that it's only New York that's... That's that's nearing the apex. Most of the rest of the country is still yet to reach that point where, where the number of people who are who are dying and the number of people who are getting sick um, continues to grow. We also have to remember the fact that reaching the apex is fine, but we really need to see it going down. Right. Because if you stay at those large numbers, so you so it's not growing anymore. But if Six, seven, eight hundred people die a day. That's also not an acceptable number, obviously. Mark, as usual, we've run out of time before we've run out of t things to talk about. I genuinely appreciate your commentary. Again, HistoryCentral.com is the website. Check it out. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Have a pleasure. Stay safe, stay indoors, and stay healthy. Thank you. You too, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I'm going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. As I mentioned before the break, he's the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Larry, are you there? Uh, uh, I can barely hear you, Bob. I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm blasting myself out. Can you hear me now? A little better. Okay. Tell us about the Foundation for Government uh, for uh, Economic Education. 
Okay, we're an educational organization reliant upon uh, private and voluntary funding from individuals and foundations, and our mission is to educate and inspire uh, young people of high school and college age in ideas of liberty and of private property, free enterprise, uh, uh, minimal government, and personal character, and we do that through a very a vibrant website, feefee.org, with online courses uh, that are free and also uh, enormous content we add to uh, every day and also events that we hold all around the world. Yeah, great, great organization. If there's a young person in your life within that age group, encourage them to visit fee.org. So, Larry, uh, you wrote a column, uh, A Nation's true test comes after the crisis. A very interesting point of view. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yes. Uh, so many people right now in the midst of the virus pandemic are looking to politicians who seem to uh, exemplify leadership, uh, maybe even character in some cases. And, uh, hey, that's fine. But what I tried to make the point about in my article is that the real test of things like leadership and character uh, will come after the crisis has passed. Uh, irrespective of what one may think of the advisability of the policies being put in place, like the shutdowns and the uh, social distancing and so forth, I mean, there, there is a lot of merit to those things. But um, irrespective of those, when we get to the point where the crisis has passed, then we'll know uh, the degree of leadership and character that we really have in our leaders. Abraham Lincoln once said, if you really want to know what's in a man, give him power, and then you find out. <laughs> uh, so my point is that uh, uh, some of the great people in history, like George Washington and Cincinnatus and ancient Rome, as well as Cicero, um, what makes them so memorable is not so much... Uh, the job that they did. In Washington's case, he lost more battles uh, than he won, and his presidency was sort of average. But uh, we remember him, I think, best because of the example that he set, the opportunities that he had uh, to assume power, to become king, that he turned down. And so uh, that's why I think uh, uh, the greatness and the character of our political leaders will really be shown by how quickly they disengage when the crisis is passed and not use this crisis as some excuse for uh, the permanent expansion of government power. You can see some are doing it already. You've yeah. got uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, coming back from San Francisco to Washington a couple weeks ago holding up the uh, stimulus package, as it was called, only because she wanted to stuff it full of other things that she couldn't get legislatively. Right. And that's the kind of uh, behavior that I think we should be exceptionally uh, wary of. Well, it happens on all levels. It happens for the county commissioners. It happens with the state representatives, with the senators and, and congressmen, the president of the United States. My concern is uh, that certainly, uh, as we've talked about so often in the show, we need some expansion of power in order to deal with a national and international pandemic. On the other hand, it really concerns me that the, the, we'll see this encroachment on uh, civil liberties and our rights and individual freedom, and uh, it'll be... Yeah, uh, uh, to me, uh, and I'm speaking just for myself here, I think liberty, being free, is so important that mm -hmm. life without it is just unthinkable. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, liberty is what makes life worth living. Uh, liberty is what... Uh, you have to have in order to express yourself, uh, your desires, your wishes, your ambitions, your, your choices, and so forth, all of which define what it means to be free. And so I certainly don't, do not want to sanction the permanent limitation of liberty just for the sake of some temporary expediency. And I urge people to judge the leadership and character of those in power by how quickly they get off our backs, out of our pockets, and out of our way when, when the crisis is passed. And I will judge most harshly those who use the situation uh, to enshrine the state as our master. I mean, after all, this is a government in Washington that went into the crisis with a booming economy, with revenues pouring in, and yet still had a trillion-dollar 
uh, annual budget deficit, mm -hmm. which put us in the worst possible financial condition uh, to weather this crisis. So instead of praising it to the skies, as some people are, I think we should be saying, how dare you put us in a position where uh, when crisis measures are required, we can ill afford it because of the uh, spending spree you were previously on <clears throat> in a uh, booming economy. Yeah. You know, Larry, and I'd like to underscore before I let you go, the important message that you gave us all. Living in, having personal liberty, having freedom, is a new development in the world. Most people, all their lives, lived under the uh, a repression of uh, a, a leader that held all the power. So here, a couple of hundred years ago, we started the United States of America. It was call it the five thousand dollar or five thousand year miracle because since Greece, really, we'd seen nothing like this. So we should relish that and take care of it, and really, uh, really covet it and not let it go. Yeah, I think we should think back to some of the wisdom of America's founders. <clears throat> because uh, they certainly dealt with a crisis, <laughs> a very existential one, when they declared the independence of the United States from Great Britain. And uh, so I ended the column that uh, we are talking about with a selection of quotes from some of those very people. Edmund Burke, not a founder of America, but of that generation anyway, he was an Irish statesman in the British Parliament, he said, uh, the true danger is when liberty is nibbled away for expedience and by parts. And, of course, John Adams, our second president, said there is danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be to trust no man living with power uh, to endanger the public liberty. Oh. And one of my favorites, Sam Adams, said, if ye love, he said ye, meaning you, if you love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask Ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that you were our countrymen. Wow. Just, uh, we can end with that. Larry Reed again, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org, F-E-E.org is the website. Larry, genuinely appreciate your commentary here. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books, Follow the Leader, his latest, Shake the Money Tree. It's a sequel, and it's uh, great murder mysteries in Washington, D.C. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com 
Com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. You can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. We have this Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's the author of a couple of great murder mysteries happening in Washington, D.C. The first is Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to be here, Bob. Thank you, Jim. So um, we've got this coronavirus going on. And uh, first of all, you're in Washington, D.C., so how are you responding? How's it going there? Yeah, I actually live across the river in Alexandria, Virginia. I can see the Washington Monument from uh, my street corner. Uh, People here, uh, in terms, uh, I live in a very wealthy community, and social distancing seems to be working. Uh, Although we do have uh, people from elsewhere in the city and the state coming to our public places, uh, and some of them are not social distancing, so... You know, but I'd say overall, the message of uh, hunker down and is working here. Um, uh, our cases are increasing. I think we have about a hundred cases here in Alexandria, and mm. uh, we've had about eleven or twelve deaths so far. Uh, so you know, nowhere near uh, New York City, um, but we're waiting. You know, uh, to use a metaphor I hear all the time, it's like you know, being uh, in the path of a tidal wave, and you, you can see the shadow, and you're waiting for it to break. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so interesting. So as the president is saying here, we should see uh, a wave of death here in the next couple of weeks uh, before that. But however, what we're also looking for is a reduction in the number of cases, which would be good news uh, during that happening. So any any thoughts or lessons that we should be learning from all this? Yeah, I'm thinking. Of, I'm looking beyond uh, uh, what happens with the, when this is over, and also, you know, early on, a month ago, gun sales surged. Yep. And uh, you know, the initial reaction by the press, of course, was, "Look at all these nutty people. Uh, they're they're trying to protect themselves from a virus. You can't shoot a virus." Well, uh, now you read the headlines that uh, you know in New York City, for example, something like ten percent of the police are out sick, and uh, there's a crime wave, and and you see it. You know, I see it in in, in my community. The first responders are generally among the initial wave of people to to get serious cases of uh, COVID nineteen. Yep. So uh, so maybe the people that got the guns are not so crazy after all. Uh, I got me thinking, you know, uh, uh, Americans tend to be individualistic in terms of uh, defending their home. Uh, That should apply also to pandemics. And the reason being we live in a very dangerous world, and someday some nutty group or maybe Iran is going to get a bioweapon, and they're going to unleash it. They're going to hit the U.S. They're going to hit NATO. Um, I think it's incumbent first... uh, you know, on the U.S. and NATO, I'm not, we're not totally unprepared for bio-warfare, but what this pandemic shows us is that we were underprepared, number one. So mm-hmm. the, the nation really has to rethink uh, its military expenditures and maybe spend more heavily on the, on the bio-weapon uh, and armor side of the equation. Number two, we as Americans, uh, when this is over, uh, and, and we read that uh, now we suddenly have more masks than we need and we have more gowns than we need. I think every American should consider having a closet stockpiled with protective gear in case of a future uh, bio attack and mm. not just to protect your own help, home, but so you can go out and help uh, your neighbors because, uh, you know, to repeat, this is a very dangerous world. Uh, and we should be prepared for every contingency. And, th- and this is a contingency that's not uh, science fiction. i tell you something, Jim. I think you just came up with a great business idea. A startup could be, you know, putting together kits 
for, for people to put in their closet so they'd have a mask, a, a protective suit, and just different sizes and so forth. What a business that could be, huh? I, yes, I mean, initially, but uh, Americans have very, very short memories, and you can see that in the news cycle. Uh, you know, a uh, few people can remember uh, the impeachment anymore, uh, or, you know, or, or what happened late last year, or who won the World Series. I remember that because it was uh, the Washington Nationals. Yeah. But uh, the point being, we have short memories, and a year after this pandemic passes, or maybe two years, the tendency will be to forget about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully Americans will resist uh, that urge and, uh, uh, you know, like I said, keep you know you have a people have a gun in their closet. Let's keep some biohazard gear alongside the gun. Yeah, that's a good idea, Jim. I really like the idea. And, and while you're at it, I mean, uh, I'm also concerned. I'm reading Larry Bell, Professor Larry Bell. He's a weekly uh, guest on the show. He's written a book about cyber cyber warfare, and what can happen is it's no longer a matter of weapons by countries, but little eleven year old kids can <laughs> create total havoc in in our community. So. Uh, you know, s- somehow protecting ourselves from that as well, I think is a great idea, Jim. So uh, right now in Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. is a magnet for visitors coming in. From, I don't imagine visitation is down substantially in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's a ghost town here. Um, it's amazing. The uh, the streets are, I mean, there is traffic on the streets, but it's so light. You feel like you're time traveled back into the 1950s. Yeah. If I get up early enough or if I go out after dark, I can walk down the middle of uh, my community's streets with, uh, almost with impunity um, because people are taking seriously the order to, to you know, stay inside uh, the house for the most part. You know, I, have to, I like to walk a couple miles a day for my health, but I don't want to go out when people are walking their dogs or, or, you know, when you'll be crowded off the sidewalk mm-hmm. into a street when there's a, a lot of traffic. So, but, but there are, you know, it's so unusual here because generally if I were to get up at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, uh, the streets would be packed and, and the, the main drive here towards Washington would be bumper to bumper that early. Uh, and now you can get up, uh, you can look at that street at 9 o'clock. I've taken pictures, and maybe you see five cars the whole stretch. Yeah, well, that pretty much represents what's... Like I said, people, I think most people in Washington are taking this uh, order seriously. Uh, My own observation from uh, yesterday, uh, just driving through a, a marina park, is that people on the lower end of the income spectrum are not taking the social distancing as seriously as people, uh, you know, with maybe more education, more income. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Jim McTagg, again, I'm, and I want to just promote your books. Uh, Follow the Leader is the first, the sequel, it is a sequel, is uh, Shake the Money Tree. Uh, Shake the Money Tree, it's, a, it, it's a, something, it's a political concept. Maybe you could just tell us about it, really create interest for our listeners. Well, yeah, it's about insider trading on Capitol Hill, which happens all the time. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, statistically, statistics show that Congress is still engaging in insider trading. So what I've done is created an insider trading ring uh, that's so profitable that uh, it's very easily easy for them to turn to murder, murder to protect their turf. And my uh, protagonist, an imperfect journalist named Martin Boundary, and his smarter wife, Twyla, a, a lawyer on Capitol Hill, uh, get onto this and uh, uh, you know try try to uh, bring the perpetrators to justice. Yeah. So, uh, it's a it's a crime thriller, and uh, also if you have a relative who's not really sharp on finance, it has uh, a few chapters that I think are almost like um, uh, a, a stock trading guide for idiots. It certainly is. Again, Shake the Money Tree by Jim McTagg, MC capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to uh, do a special shout out to our sponsors. Uh, some of them have been with me for over eight years uh, on this broadcast, so I just genuinely appreciate their support. I've uh, actually waived advertising fees from advertisers uh, for the last uh, couple of months, or for, I should say for the month of April and March. Uh, just generally because, of, first of all, the difficulties the businesses are having right now, but second of all, because of the loyalty that I appreciate all during this period of time. So it's the least I could do for them. So in my, my uh, request for you is uh, these advertisers do support them. Johnson's Air Conditioning, uh, Golf Shore Playhouse, all these other organizations, Blue Provence, uh, uh, check them out. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you join us tomorrow. We have great guests lined up for you. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>